Um, all right. Any other questions? Any other uh, observations? Any other anything? Looking good. I guess yeah. not. Okay, here we go. It's official. I don't know how to even how to go. I don't even know how to get into this subject. I don't know how to get into the subject except that we're apparently now. It's important that we report UFO sightings. All right. This is what we've come to in our world right now. It's important. This is from a forum at Oshkosh at AirVenture. All right. And our good friend Barb Schmitz wrote, wrote it up. I know. See, so, I, well, okay, but poor Barb. Yes, Barb wrote it. That gives it some, even more credibility. All mm-hmm. right. But, uh, yeah, this is from uh, EAA's, one of EAA's various publications. Um, and pilots need to report UFO sightings. So so this is Barb writing up um, the content of one of, the, I believe, one of the forums um, at AirVenture. USO, UFO researcher Ben Hansen said UFO, UFOs are a real phenomenon. Then the quote is, I'm not telling you it's extraterrestrial, but something is going on that is not intentional, he, he said. Um, and uh, he just goes on, and he says, and that's why it's so important to document UFO events so that they can be properly researched and possible causes determined. I don't know what you think about this. What do you think? Have you have about any, I'm not even sure if I've ever seen anything that would, well, even under these looser, you know, kind of requirements, rise to the level of being yeah. reported. I, I think two things. Yeah. If I saw something that wasn't reported, um, wasn't I wasn't told about it, and it looked like it was "quote unquote" unidentified. Um, yeah, I'd probably report it right then. ATC, why did you aim that? Whatever it is, at me. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, what do you think their reaction would be? Well, it depends. You know, if they saw it on their screens, or you know. If it had ADSB, they would probably fess up and say, "Oh yeah, oh we forgot. Sorry, you know, you know, sorry. You didn't swap paint or anything, did you? No, all right, okay. But if I'm just out plinking around and uh, I see something that uh, looks odd, I probably wouldn't think about it. Uh, now, if it's you know some flashing lights." And it's hovering, you know, near me, or follows me, or or stops midair and reverses and does things that are generally not possible for a a, a terrestrial based aircraft to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd probably do something about. It. I'd probably say something, or if you see something, say something, kind of thing. Um, but um, I, I just feel like this is all part of this this cottage industry that's springing up here. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of hype driven and, uh, uh, just asking questions kind of thing. And, and, uh, I just wonder if, uh, maybe we've missed a few other topics to talk about. <laughs> I don't know. Amy, what do you think? Uh, I would have to say that this looks like an excuse to create a whole lot of paperwork and a new division at the FAA. This is a good point too. Um, this what would you call this division? What would it be called? The uh, UFO sightings <laughs> <laughs> department. Okay, would they're they, not known for their creativity, man. No, they're, they're, <laughs> would there be what, a, what would be the mail code? <laughs> 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 <You know. laughs> 
I'm sorry. I'm just. Would there um, be a, would there would there there would be a, there would be a, an officer, an agent, a whatever you want to call it, at every FISDO, right? Absolutely, you yeah. would have to. How do you well, process you, that stuff? Exactly. You would you know, smoke a lot of cigarettes. All right. Yeah, you, <laughs> That's a, does anybody get that reference? Yes, yes I do. Oh, okay, good, good, um, good. Well, I'll, I'll leave it as an exercise to the listener. Um, yeah, yeah, they could go a couple of ways. Yeah, okay, yeah. Anyways, um, um, I don't, all kidding aside, you don't. Th- I, I mean, to, so so the little bit of this, a little bit of this. All right, is. Uh, there's a legitimate safety concern here. If you're seeing something that didn't get called out, like Jeb implied, uh, or more than implied, described, um, and 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 you know maybe you ought to let them know that something's going Absolutely. on here. Absolutely, right? you know, because it, it's because it's not it's not space aliens. All right, I don't think I'm pretty sure uh, it's not space aliens. Um, it's something. All right, whether it's a whether it's a rogue drone or it's somebody in there, you know, 152 who's going a little crazy, you know, or um, whatever. All right. Um, yeah, probably ought to make sure it's on. It's it's you know the system knows about it, right? And maybe that's all this guy is saying, in the form of trying to tout his UFO well, consulting business. Um, safety is is obviously the major a major consideration here, um, and that's that goes for anybody flying anything anywhere. Um, if we see an anomaly, and I'm going to use that word, uh, while we're airborne, yeah, we should note it. We should we should uh, um, maybe say something on the frequency. Ask ATC if they see something. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I don't know. I just. I, I'm I with you, Jeb. I yeah, get you. I, 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 I don't know where else to go with this, except I just find that this is a very rare uh, event. And um, that, uh, um, okay, fine. Have a have an Oshkosh forum about it, things like this. Um, but... Um, um, I don't know that we need to make this a, a big deal. No, it's a it's a once every twenty five thousand hours. I saw something. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know what yeah, the heck it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I agree with you. Uh, I don't know that we need a division with paperwork involved to to do something like that. Yeah. I don't know that we need a regulation either. No, I, I hope I hope that this um, uh, movement or this group of people or whatever this is. Um, um, ben Hansen, a, according to Barb, a, a former FBI agent, none of which gives me a warm fuzzy. Yeah, I know. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, no. um, all right. Last. The, but, the next. But yeah. anyway, yeah. Sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So the very the very the very next to last graph in this this report this story makes reference to um a, a, a an office called the AARO Alpha Alpha Romeo Oscar the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office. Um, which is described as tasked with looking into this topic, taking a scientific approach. Um, I don't know. He says, no, 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 no. Okay, it's apparently not part of the government or Pentagon because I don't know. I don't know what the AARO is. So one of you is going to Google it and tell me later on. But, well, uh, it's, a, it's a relatively easy thing yeah. to right-click on that. Oh, you can. Um, that's right. This, is, this apparently is a DOD thing. There you go. In a press release. (laughs) He was not making that up. He was not making this up. Um, A a press release from July 2022, so just over a year ago, 
not coincidentally on the date we landed the, the, the day we landed on the moon in 1969 have, having said all that or did we oh, well, okay. don't you go you, you shushed me out of that last episode so don't you go there my friend no 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 yeah okay all right yeah so yeah what's the story what's the well it's, uh, um, the deputy story? secretary of defense coordinator blah, blah, blah. Amended her original direction, uh, expanding the scope of the Airborne Object Identification Management Group to the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, A-A-R-O. <laughs> yeah. Due to the enactment of the National Defense Authorization Act of Fiscal 22, which included a provision to establish an office in coordination with the Director of National Intelligence with responsibilities that were broader than those originally assigned to the... I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce I that. I think acronym. we're on to something here. I think I think this could be our first spin-off podcast right here, okay? I think that... Uh, that uh, the truth is out there. That's exactly right. There you, know, you go. We got the, yeah, that's right. We got, we got the we got the shadowy profile of a cigarette smoking man is our logo. Yes. And yes. Uh, all right, okay. Well, there we go. We've solved Picked that. The wrong problem. week to give up. This has glue. gotten a lot more serious than I expected it to. And lights in the sky. And uh, lights in the sky. All right. Anyway, so pretty. <laughs> hey, welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, beautiful downtown uh, Dover, New Hampshire, along the banks, from high atop the banks of the Cochico River, um, and uh, where it's a beautiful fall day. It's not technically fall yet, I don't think, is it? No, no, no. It's August. What am I saying? <laughs> no, it's it, it, dude. It, it, so no. No, but it feels like, well, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I'll, all right. We're going to come to that in a second here. Um, anyways, things are good here. Um, and uh, having said that, I'm going to move on and say uh, hi to my two good friends who are here uh, with me today in our virtual hangar. One of those voices is from uh, somewhere near Fort Myers, Florida. That's Amy Lobota. Hi, Amy. How are you doing? Woohoo! It's so not fall here, Jack. <laughs> that's what I heard, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. It's a dry heat today, though. Well, I'm sorry. Is that even possible in Florida? No. While, while we're <laughs> it's on this relative. topic, while we're on this topic, I don't mean to hijack this, but no. I'm, listening, I'm listening to the radio this morning, early, early, and giving the weather report, and it's going to be in the mid 90s today, and uh, there's dry air over Florida. Uh, and then the next sentence is 99% humidity. I'm like, how does this, how did that work? You know, yeah, and, well. and, you know, so I, I, Florida weather is weird. That's all I can say. Well, I mean, for starters, it's, you know, what is it they try and teach you when, you know, because because the weather forecasts are always talking about warm fronts and cold fronts, okay? But, yeah, but there's no fronts in Florida in the summertime. My point here is that the the distinction between a warm front and a cold front isn't necessarily warm air or cold air. It's warmer air it's right. It's, it's, air, it's, right. It's all relative. And so um, right. I'm thinking that a, a dry air, all right, is also relative, all right? That it is. drier than usual. Yesterday. Florida, all right, which is still <laughs> oppressive elsewhere, right? Yeah. Well, how much more humid can it get and still have visibility than I 99%? Know. I don't know. I want to know is how much, I'm sorry, so, so I'm going to ask this question if I remember it, and then I'm going, but first I'm going to say from someone near Sarasota, Florida, my other <laughs> good friend here. I, you were trying, trying to trick I was me. trying. I was trying hard. You were trying yeah. to trick me into forgetting. That's Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? I'm fine. But it's warmer where you, well, you guys are like, you know, like 20 miles apart, practically. Yeah. Yeah, a little, a little, a little bit farther, more there, but yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, so it's warm in both places. Uh, um, Jeb was moaning about the air conditioning running up a bill earlier, and uh, I and I totally sympathize because when I turn on the air conditioning here in much more temperate 
Dover, New Hampshire, I get nervous about the bill. So, yeah. yeah. Um, what's going on, Jeb? Anything else other than that? Um, I've already no, not really. Going to ask you about Ge- gearing oh, up for the next issue of Aviation Safety, and uh, um, maybe talk about it later. Airplanes in the avionics shop. Uh, all is good with the world. Oh, right yeah, now. I know. I know. It's uh, So it's still, there's nothing to report on the avionics. Nothing shop, to report so, yeah. now, except there's been a, a, a How far a behind schedule of, is it already? I don't, I haven't. <laughs> if I see it sometime that's in September. Yeah, that's really mean. I'm sorry. That's really mean. If I see it sometime in September, I'll be happy. Yeah, okay. All right. Um, I've already forgotten what it was I said I was going to ask you about, so I guess I, I'm, um, somebody remember. If someone knows what I was talking about, what, uh, I don't, let I don't me know. Remember. UFOs? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm I really, think we're, we're moving past that. We're not, going, we're not going there anymore? <laughs> I, think I'm, I think I'm ready to move on here. Um, well, what, what am I moving on to? Hard landings. Boy, I'm telling you, I've had some hard landings. Just this story about the 767. Did we, I don't think we talked about this last time, we, did we? We were. It was ancillary to something else we were trying to find. Yeah, we, we were trying to find um, um, an accident incident report on another seven six. Yeah, that had a hiccup, and the only one we could come across was the the one that bent the fuselage. So according to this is an ab website. Oh, the, the, the missing uh, 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 emergency uh, ramp. Yeah, but the emergency uh, ramp. Oh, those were seven sixes as well. You're right. It was uh, a seven six. Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, Amy might know the answer to that question. Help me remember that one for later on. Um, hard landing buckles 767 fuselage. Um, this is an AvWeb story about a, uh, a United Airlines 767 that landed hard. <laughs> I guess so, huh? Um, I'm trying skinning the story, trying to figure out where it was they landed. Houston. Um, and landed sufficiently hard that they literally wrinkled the skin of the fuselage. And there's a picture here that's that on some level doesn't look very dramatic, but if you know what these things are supposed to, that's pretty dramatic. <laughs> that's pretty dramatic. That it did that, all right? Um, I would like to know what their rate of descent was when uh, they touched down, and I am confident that the 767 can tell that. Yeah. Well, yes. I, yeah. Yes. The question yeah. is, will it be part of the NTSB report or not? Oh, yeah, it oh, will. Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Because um, this is like... Uh, well, you're going to make me look this up. Hey, we might, actually. From, Sorry. The story is dated August 3rd, so it's been... been. Yeah, I, well, I saw something somewhere, and it, it may be here in the NTSB prelim, but um, apparently they, shall we say, touched down three times. Yeah, it is. Uh, <laughs> which, which probably will do it every it time. It was a Boeing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay. Well, there we go. Wait a minute. What did what did uh, what did uh, what's his name fly for American? <laughs> he, he, he flew plenty of both. What's his, what's his name? What's his name? Right? I'm, trying to, I'm trying to allow him a little. What's bit his and name? I'm... Preferred is Boeing's, but okay. then again, yeah, okay. Right. But there was such a thing as the Boeing bounce. Remember? Yeah. Well, okay. I, I'm. I'm. That's what I was referring to. Yeah. See, for me, I, for me, it's the 152 <laughs> bounce. But okay, um, I, I get to, I get the point here. Um, this must have landed firmly, I'll tell you. I, I was on an airline. I've only been on a couple of airliners since the pandemic, but I was on one um, in the last couple of months. I forget. And only two places. I went to Anaheim and I went to Orlando. I think it was Orlando. And, man, we planted that airplane. Um, we landed hard. Um, it didn't seem bad. I mean, I'm sitting there looking out the window, watching the whole approach and, and, you know, kind of feeling us descending. And it didn't seem unusually hard, but they didn't arrest it, I guess, or, or they did. They were maybe counting on the arrestor wires. I don't know. It was 
was a very. <laughs> it was Did a you very, put the tail hook out, George? Yeah, it was a very naval aviator landing, um, and I say that with love to my naval aviator. Was this aviator. Delta? Uh, no, it was either South. It was probably Southwest. Um, it was Southwest, or who else did I fly? I flew. I forget the other one. I flew, oh, it was United. I flew with United recently too. Let's oh, not get no. me started on that. All right. Um, <laughs> Anyways, um, that was a hard landing. I mean, it was hard enough. I mean, first of all, though, every, you know, like none of the none of the um, overhead doors popped open, but I'm sure they came very close. I mean, it was that hard a landing, all right. And it was hard enough that the uh, flight attendants were making jokes about it, you know, trying to de- disarm people um, when they came on the microphones afterwards and uh, just trying to defuse the whole thing. But boy, um, we hit hard, and. Uh, and yeah, but you got to hit harder than that, Jack, to buckle to, fuselage. To I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, uh, he who shall not be named on on his <laughs> on his first IOE, which is their initial uh, operating experience, yeah, on the very last landing of the whole trip, going into LaGuardia at night, dropped all of the uh, the the emergency. Uh, oxygen masks Ooh. on a landing really? in a in a Boeing and did not break the airplane. I, be honest with you, I didn't realize that a hard landing could cause the masks to drop. I, that's interesting. Oh yes. Oh, okay. Well, all right. Somebody. Okay. Now somebody's got to put hard. those all back up there. Oh, yeah. Okay. I found. I found the the uh, prelim. Yeah. What's it say? According to flight crew, airplane. Initial touch down on the main wheels was normal. The first officer who was pilot flying um, stated that after the main landing gear touched down, he held aft pressure on the control yoke to keep the nose wheel from hitting the runway. However, the nose wheel made contact with abnormal force. The airplane appeared to bounce and he reacted by pulling aft on the control yoke in an effort to keep the nose wheel from impacting the runway a second time. Subsequently, the speed brakes deployed, and the auto brakes engaged, which resulted in a second bounce of the nose wheel. He deployed the thrust reversers, and the airplane began to decelerate. The captain assumed control of the airplane, and the remainder of the landing rollout was normal, with no risk of runway overrun or excursion. Preliminary review of the flight data recorder revealed that after the initial touchdown on both main wheels, the airplane rolled to the left, and the right main gear lifted off the runway's surface. Subsequently, the nose wheel touched down with a gravitational force equivalent of about 1.4 G and bounced. The speed brakes deployed, the nose wheel impacted the runway a second time with a force of about 1.6 G, followed by another bounce. The right thrust reverser deployed, and the nose wheel impacted the runway again with a force of about 1.6 G, following the deployment of the left thrust reverser. Does it indicate whether that right main was off the ground still? Uh, by this time, I'm pretty sure it was on the ground. Because for starters, that's that, I, I can imagine being some weird forces on the fuselage. If it hits hard on the nose and Twists, one of the yeah, mains, yeah, yeah. there would be a twisting motion that would do mm-hmm. some weird. That's just a totally speculative kind of imagining thing here. But uh, wow. Okay. Weather conditions. Is there more? Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Weather conditions included... I don't know, man. This is this is pretty hairy stuff. Yeah. Five knots of wind at 220 <laughs> degrees. Um, landing, landing on, uh, uh, what is it, runway 26. 
Okay. Well, all right. Um, I, you said this, and I missed it. Who was the pilot flying? The FO. FO. The, the, the co-pilot. Yeah. So, and and I would I would like to have seen what uh, he, she, whoever was doing in terms of twisting on the control yoke. Yeah. Yeah. While that was happening. Yeah. And why didn't the speed brakes deploy upon the mains mm-hmm. touching down? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is that automatic? I, I didn't I didn't it, know. Yeah. Depends on how they're configured, but should be, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that was that, a manual that thing. That seems very strange yeah. to me. Yeah. But if you get on the brakes, uh, you can have a problem with the nose nose gear yes. coming down too hard, too fast on any of those uh, 7576 aircraft. Hmm. Okay. Uh, interesting. And uh, so uh, this uh, is this this seven sixty seven is now a museum piece of some sort, right? I mean, it's like no, it's you'll be drinking beer out of it in a few more months. Well, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, right. Yeah. It, it's it's no longer effectively an airplane. I'd rather not fly in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to taxi it. <laughs> oh. There's no telling what's what's askew, as they say. I suppose. Um, yeah. The problem is that if you tow it too hard, it could break in half, too. So uh, There is that. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, interesting situation here. Um, yeah. Hard yeah. landings are us. I don't know. What else here? Um, Amy, you put this on the list. This is kind of interesting, but I don't know the details. Tell me a little bit more about this Embry-Riddle report regarding possibly making go-arounds more safe. Well, in fact, the go-arounds are something that uh, once you get past learning touch-and-goes and and you've got your private, you just keep going. Um, you, You don't practice as much as you should. And that goes all the way up to the airlines mm-hmm. where they practice it, you know, once in the sim every, what, six, nine, 12 months, depending on where they're at. But in everyday life, they seem to get startled and delay when things have to happen. Yeah. And so uh, Associate Professor Barbara Holder and her second-year uh, PhD student, uh, Angel Wang, have been collaborating on how they could improve flight deck procedures during go-around. And though that sounds like it's just for airliners, it actually trickles back very, very nicely. And uh, this comes from uh, Aviation International News, and a friend of mine, Carrie Lynch, wrote it. Um, but it's brand new. Uh, and and this workshop that they held very recently um, brought together some leaders from airlines, manufacturers, FAA, and NASA. And they went through uh, ground school standardization and training. And then they worked in the sim. And uh, they were talking about doing 18 go-arounds per session. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and and the research led to the development of some procedures that really changed the way callouts happen. And as you might know, if you're a professional pilot working in a crew, uh, a crew concept means that there's a pilot flying and a pilot basically driving the show with their mouth. Does that make sense? Pilot flying, pilot monitoring. 
Yeah, well, pilot monitoring, but also it's not the pilot flying that's that's doing call outs a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there's a pilot that runs the checklist and the pilot that actually is touching everything and doing everything. So let's call it the doing pilot and the talking pilot. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Okay. So um, what they're what they're trying to do is um, mitigate uh, some of the problems that happen in go arounds. And go arounds, it turns out, are one of the highest risk for loss of control in flight on a landing situation. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So, uh, you know, aerodynamic stall, low airspeed, low altitude, uh, configuration issues. Okay. Right. Changes directed by air traffic control, noise, distractions, exhaustion, right? You're at the end of your flight. Yeah. Um, And I can tell you, I've been on 10-hour flights that were punctuated by a go-around at the end. Mm -hmm. That's not fun. No. It's not fun for the passengers in the back, but it cannot be a party for the crew. Yeah. At the end of a long flight to say, nope, nope, we're going around. Um, right. And then there's a, a sort of variation on get home-itis that makes you less likely to do it even though you need it. Um, so. no, there's, there, yeah, there's absolutely that. There's there's also the uh, the expectation. Uh-huh. Uh, that, expectation bias, right? Exactly. That we will land out of this approach. And our, our built-in, I don't know, expectation is to continue the approach and to land the airplane and park it and go home. Um, sometimes that's not possible. And the first thing we have to overcome is that expectation that we're going to land. Um, sometimes we're not going to land. Uh, I, I did a thing last month, safety, about... Uh, Low approaches when you're like trying to make sure that a, a remote runway is, is safe to land on, whether it's at night or in daytime or whatever, and maybe even you want to scare some wildlife away. And you know, I basically say, you know, hey, the good news is this is just like a touch and go. The, the, the low approach, except you don't touch down. The bad news is we screw those up too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's the same kind of thing in that. It's a new maneuver. We're con- we're combining a few things here, uh, and we have to get our head moving in the right direction to say clean up the flaps or um, make sure we have trim. Yeah. It may- oh, exactly. Uh, make sure that um, um, before. Well, not so much before thinking about go arounds from from the flare, but we add enough power in to arrest the descent without adding so much power that the airplane pitches up and we lose control. Um, it's a can be. You know, if we're in a 152, it shouldn't be that big a deal. Right. You've got to get some flaps out. got to get some flaps retracted right. before the thing's going to climb. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in if, your airplane yeah. or even my airplane, yeah. there, it starts to get a little tricky, and you can be very busy mm-hmm. if you've just shot an instrument approach uh-huh. and you reach decision altitude and you look out and there ain't nothing to look at. That's right. And that's that's the time when this this expectation bias is so dangerous. Yeah. The other time is dangerous, and I'm going to ask this question of, of you guys: is I'm going to ask you, do you remember the last time you went around for real? 
Okay, yeah, you that were, wasn't, you were, that wasn't you, a practice. Right, and you were with me. Haha, there you go. There yeah. you go. I don't remember, but then I haven't flown recently. So, uh, but uh, yeah. I can remember in Daytona Beach, and they just they put me on the small runway with all the people practicing, and the guy in front of me was just too slow, and yeah. there wasn't enough S turns I could do. Mm-hmm. And I finally said to the controller, uh, I am going around. Yeah. Right. Right. And I could hear the the frustration in his voice. Yeah. But there was just no way on that little runway that that, that airplane was not going to get out of my way in time. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I remember one time I was sitting um, uh, on the bench, um, so to speak, um, the obs- the observer bench at Palo Alto, watching airplanes land and take off, and listening on the radio. And uh, one particular aircraft was coming in to land, and did a go around. Um, uh, I forget exactly where he changed over. Someplace on very short final, um, he did a go around, and he got scolded by the by the by the controller. And the controller said, "I did not clear you for the option." All right. Thank you. God bless him. The pilot, um, you know, politely but firmly said that was not. That was not a practice go around. That was a that was a genuine cautionary go around because the because I judged that the run runway was not clear, um, and uh, uh, he wasn't taking any foolishness from this controller. And yeah. I think that was basically the end of it. I don't think there was any. It's always the end of it. <laughs> it should be the end of it. If not, I want the tapes. You know, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember I remember listening to this and going, oh, okay, that's an interesting lesson right there. Okay, it's kind of like, um, you know, he he did a go around. He was not, you know, and and. And even though the tower scolded him, he just basically came back and said, "No, that was not a you know that was not a practice go around. That was a precautionary go around." And uh, yeah. real, um, real quickly, Amy, mm-hmm. I don't know. You, you, I don't Remind know. me. Yeah, we were we were approaching um, uh, Pine Shadows runway nine, and just in the flare, the bottom fell out because of the tree line. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember. I do and remember. Yeah. The mains hit the ground um, firmly. Uh, I I initially started to apply just partial power to because we bounced and we're five feet in the air and you know you know the configuration um, and instead of just applying partial power I just went ahead and firewalled it yeah and we stopped the stopped arrested the descent I maintained control of the airplane yada yada started milking the flaps up got enough altitude retracted the gear and we went around and it was more a matter of. I remember thinking about it at the times. All right, uh, I got to arrest this descent. How much power do I apply? Let's just use all of it and call it a go around and forget <laughs> about the niceties here. And uh, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've gone around at Pine Shadows uh, for just that reason. Mm-hmm. I went around one night because it just didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I, we don't have a lighted windsock here. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a good feel for the wind. Mm-hmm. And as I was landing, I went, I think I have a tailwind. Yes. This yes. feels wrong. Yes. And I just hit the power and mm-hmm. I went around and I came back out and set the pattern up uh-huh. the other direction and made a landing that felt right. Exactly. And And honestly, in lighter aircraft, that's something the pilot has to be so attuned to on landing. It mm-hmm. can't be rote. Yeah. I, I did that here at Hidden River in daytime. And, you know, the, the wind socks here are uh, um, less than optimal. Let me just put there it down. There you go. Um, and uh, sure enough, um, I came around and said, I'm on, you know, basically short fussing. You know, something's wrong here. I'm on speed. I'm on altitude. 
something's wrong, and I think I got a tailwind. And I told my passenger, I'm going around, I think I got a tailwind. And sure enough, I did. It wasn't much of a tailwind, but it was enough to set alarms off. So, it doesn't have to be that much of a tailwind no. to on a on a lighter aircraft to change everything. And I've seen seen people when thunderstorms are around and things mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. end up where they were on approach and everything was hunky dory wonderful and the wind sheared sure. to a tailwind on them and they're like, Whoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and you gotta go around in those circumstances. Yeah. You're just not set up right. You're gonna that's gonna be a bad landing. Yeah. What's uh, so? I mean, Amy. So, out of this research that uh, the article is based on, um, you, uh, do you think that they will? So, and obviously, they're targeting airliners and, and that kind of kind of flying. Do you think that something will 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 trickle down to uh, to GA and to private pilots? And will, will there do. be a change to the test standard? Not the testing, but the training standards. And I don't know about a change to the training standards because I'm not. Con- I'm not completely sure that we're not training okay, but I am sure that uh, we are not doing recurrent training enough. Mm -hmm. And I I do believe that there will be an AC that comes out of this, an advisory circular. Um, Really, one of the pilots that that was using the new go-around procedure said that this procedure forces you to look at power and pitch and say it, do it, not just recite it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can definitely trickle down and 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 help people. But more than anything else, I think it's up to instructors to reiterate over and over again, you know, the the reasons why people should go around. Yeah. And that they shouldn't be afraid of a go around. Heck, I had I had one uh uh flight exam that I did with an examiner and I went around four times because things were just not setting up right, just not setting her up right. He couldn't flunk me for going around four times. Yeah. He could have flunked me for botching that landing. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so it uh, is, uh, so Amy, I've, um, flight reviews. Um, I've, I've always gotten the impression, and I think there's maybe that, that that flight review is largely a lot of the the things that have to be accomplished during flight review is uh, to is uh, the instructor's discretion, the CFI's discretion. It's kind of like you know they're going to test you on whatever it is they're going they think they need to test you on. Are there guide? There must be guidelines for an, a oh, CFI. big time guidelines, mm-hmm. and much less so to the instructor's discretion today than it was 20 years. Oh, ago. Oh, really? Okay. And um, is is practicing go rounds in? there somewhere yes okay yeah all right and remember you can't fail a flight review you may need to continue a flight review right right well that's interesting yeah that's very interesting i you know i mean i've been a proponent for years now that the way and you're saying this is really not a training issue as much as it is a currency uh recurrency or flight review kind of issue but uh, the way we train pilots is is kind of broken it's kind of in the wrong order um we talked about this i don't think with you amy but with one of our daily guests i believe at, at oshkosh um the idea that no i forget who it was but anyways um the idea that we we use the training syllabus that's largely came out of the military during world war ii yeah. which was all about flunking people it wasn't about inspiring people to love and be good pilots um so uh 
Anyways, yeah. Well, yeah, hopefully this story still will. Still a lot of that. Uh, hopefully this story will trickle down to the instructors' awareness, if nothing else. And uh, and uh, I I'll make a note to myself when I get around to doing some flight review stuff to you know let's talk a little bit about go around procedures. I think that's I think this is wise. Makes sense to me, anyways. Yeah, one, one of the things too here is, is translating this um, this research, which is clearly crew oriented, to single pilot operations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that needs to be done. I agree yeah, with you. Yeah. yeah. Do we know either of these two people? Do we know uh, Barbara Holder or her, her? Uh, I'm blanking on the name here, Angel uh, Wang. Wang. Um, we should reach out to them or somebody should reach out to them and say, this is really applicable to a whole bunch of other pilots, which I'm sure they know. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, but encourage them to, uh, to uh, find someone to reapply it if they're not able to. You probably have to get Angel through her PhD. She looks like that's what she's uh, yeah. working on, and this is probably part of her research. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, interesting stuff, Amy. Thank you. What's next here? Uh, I think uh, oh, this is another thing, Amy. Thing, Amy, you put in bogus parts. I don't know what this is. What? Uh, so, okay. I don't know. We know where to go with this. Um, bogus parts, bogus spare parts, parts, parts in bogus ink, parts. spare spares, ink manufactured, unapproved parts for Hanson helicopters. What's the story, Amy? Well, Hanson helicopters had a lot of accidents. So many accidents, and they were they were based in the in the Pacific, um, and they used their helicopters a lot to help with large fishing fleets help them find the fish, things like that, support them. Uh, typically, uh, Hughes 369 series helicopters. Mm. Um, yep. And at these bogus parts, which included, you know, little things like tail rotor pitch change links, um, were implicated in several of these accidents. And there was even loss of life involved. Now, the people who were prosecuted included the owner of Hanson Helicopters, who uh, probably solicited these parts. But uh, okay. this is a... Allegedly, this is a, maybe. We don't know that for sure. Well, he's gone now, so... Uh, oh, just be careful, and he, they, they, Yeah, I agree with you completely, but um, Hansen and its owner, John Walker, were found guilty on nearly 100 related counts, including conspiracy, defrauding the FAA and the NTSB, Ouch. bribery, aircraft parts fraud causing seriously bodily injury and death, okay. falsification of aircraft registration. Right. I take it all back. You Do you want me to keep going? Because it keeps I'm going. I'm convinced. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and this is a company that's getting taken down because they supply 23 different unapproved parts. Uh, they were sentenced to five years of probation, $8,500 in fines, and separately, they had to pay a forfeiture of nine hundred and forty-five thousand one hundred and sixty-five dollars and wait eighty-nine cents, uh, which is less the value of the tools and equipment used to manufacture. I mean, they they they, they got more than hand slap in this deal, uh-huh. and this was a bad deal. 
The, the, this was not good, and people died. How, how do people think? So I've never owned an airplane, and I've never been responsible for its maintenance, which is to say buying parts, replacement parts. But my sense of it is that you can't hardly buy washers without there being some paperwork involved. All right, How does one think that they can get away with bogus parts and never get caught? I mean, They have bogus paperwork. That's correct. I Thank guess. you, Jeb. I mean, that, that was part of... Part of what they got caught doing. Yeah, I mean, I was going to suggest that might be, you know, the fact that there's so much paperwork actually makes it easier to make bogus parts than harder. I don't know. That's just me speculating about, you know, I don't know, bureaucracy. But uh, I I think the lesson you're learning here is that bogus parts will kill you. Well, I've never doubted that. um, But, yeah, because... Because, hell, good parts will sometimes go wrong and, and, and hurt you, if not kill you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Jeb, you're the aviation safety guy. Uh, any perspective on this? Um, well, yes and no. Um, don't go to Home Depot uh, to get your wing attach bolts. Okay. Um, it would be one, one caveat. Yeah. recommendation. Lowe's is okay, though. No, I mean, I know. Maybe maybe Ace Hardware, but only if they have the mag <laughs> in the Magnaflux section. Okay. At, at, at Ace Hardware, I too um, like Ace Hardware better than Lowe's. So okay, yeah. 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 All right, yeah. Um, Lowe's is always out of what a, yeah. whatever the hell it is. I'm there for. We're you joking. Know, I, you don't I'm buy any of your parts. From, no, no. The part we're joking about is you don't buy any of your airplane parts right. from Lowe's or right. Ace or right. Yeah. Okay. Go yeah. ahead. No, no, that's, that's absolutely true. No, that's basically it. Um, yeah. There are many parts, especially on an all-metal airplane, um, that are industry standard, shall we say. They meet some uh, um, Army, Navy, or some uh, military spec standard and has a code associated with it. And, and those, those kinds of parts are pretty much interchangeable. Um, oil filters, as long as it's the right filter specified by the engine manufacturer, um, and um, obviously it's a from a reputable uh, manufacturer itself, um, you don't need to really worry about it being bogus or not. Um, but um, many other things, like these these uh, Tail rotor pitch change links, and you, know, you get a, a bearing. Bearings are really fairly simple devices, but unless it's you know manufactured under a certain standard and you know has or does not have uh, a sealed uh, sealed uh, bearing races, things like that can be you know details that sometimes get lost, and you can easily install the wrong bearing, for example. Um, but um, it's those kinds of things. It's much more preferable to get them from a reputable source, if not the, manuf- the airframe manufacturer. You've got uh, verified paper trails. Uh, there's no question uh, that the part can be installed, um, and there's also you know a, a good defense if the part fails. Correct. Correct. And and the other thing that I think we learn from this is to be comfortable with the shop you're taking your oh, airplane yes. to oh, yes. because mm-hmm. you may never see the part that they put in there mm-hmm. that turns out that they got a good deal on from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A okay. lot of the time when, you know, 
if my airplane is in the shop and something is not acceptable to the shop, um, I'll just tell them, just sit tight, hold on a second, let me see what I can scrounge up. And I will source the part for them. I know, you know, as long as they, as long as it's the same part they want, I know the source of the part. Mm -hmm. I know where I got it. And as long as it's got the appropriate paperwork, uh, I'm very, very comfortable doing things that way. Sure. Somewhat less so um, um, letting the shop um, make the choice and, and let them use their vendor yeah. and all that kind of thing. So aviation mechanics are comfortable with that? Because, you know, for example, auto mechanics are notoriously hate that kind of thing. Well, um, aviation mechanics hate it too, especially when they... Because they make a couple dollars it up on and the make, part. And make a profit on it. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. That's a shame. Yeah. You know, that's really a shame. Um, I've seen, you know, my favorite story, of course, is uh, um, getting getting my airplane out of the avionics shop after installing my uh, ADSB solution, which came with a Wi-Fi dongle that's plugged into the back. Literally a dongle. It's like six foot of wire hanging hanging off of it. Plugs into the back of the ADSB transponder, and it was secured with a with a zip tie. <laughs> mm -hmm. Secured to the fuel pressure gauges. Oh no! Um, capillary line <sighs> from the from the engine. Yeah, with a zip tie. Not good. Not good. Well, a little more detail. Why not good? Um, the fuel in the, the the capillary line is just a piece of metal that is subject to vibration. Uh, it's it's not secured very well. Um, it's, it complies with the type design, but um, it vibrates okay. and wear against that piece of plastic. You, you've seen how zip ties; some edges can be very sharp. Yes, and you get that zip tie rattling around uh, on that small capillary line and it will cut through it eventually mm -hmm. and you'll have fuel in your lap yeah and okay. that's not a good thing and this is behind the panel though how did you this discover is, this i was behind the panel looking around oh good for you yeah okay well all right i guess be careful out there um i think amy's it, advice it, is maybe the best that i've yeah. heard here is make sure you know who you're taking your airplane to yep. for 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 work you know anyways Okay. Moving on here. Um, so uh, a story that could have been tragic was just bad um, here. This is a, uh, a Willow Run um, air show recently um, had a, a, a MiG-23, according to the story, um, crashed during one of the air shows. Um, uh, the airplane went down and I think landed in a parking lot or something like that. No people on the ground were hurt. Um, the, the part of the story I find interesting um, is that um, – so this is a, a, a – this is a, a – obviously is a private warbird that's a, a mig 23 mm -hmm. um and the pilots the two pilots on board ejected and that's what struck me i just maybe i'm just not being paying attention i was always under the impression that all of these private warbirds had the ejection seats taken out or disabled um because my sense is that the rejection seats are maybe the most dangerous thing on board the airplane um is that are are many of them still enabled? Is this a common thing? Uh, not that they eject, but that they could eject? You guys have any sense of this? I don't have enough experience with warbirds to tell you yes or no. 
Yeah, I don't. I I I can't give you a straight answer other than clearly not all of them. Yeah, I mean, good. I mean, I mean, I'm good. We're we're glad these two pilots might not have survived this whole thing, um, otherwise. But uh, I didn't realize that the ejection seats were still alive in in these private aircraft. I for somehow somewhere along the line, it got into my head that it was a requirement that they be that they be. Um, um, dis- disabled, whatever the word would be, basically taken out. Um, you know, the freaking rocket engines sitting under your butt. All right, and uh, that's all true. You know, I just you know. All right. Anyways, well, I guess this, we have nothing to add to this. I mean, I'm glad. Happy, congratulations to the pilots who managed to survive this terrible situation. Glad nobody on the ground was hurt. Somebody's car got wrecked, and sadly, unfortunately, but that's better than the alternative. So um, there we go. Um, we should talk to Tupper. This is his his yeah. turf, his running. Yeah. You know, his is. Uh, I'm not I was sure actually he's got wondering. A lot of experience with with ejection seats, either. But yeah. Well, but you know, he's but he's he's in he's more tuned into the Warbird world, and and he might have some information for us. Um, I was half wondering if this is one of his shows. He's the air boss for a lot of these kinds of air fly, fly-ins out there, mm-hmm. and I don't know whether he was involved with this one. I haven't seen any reference that he was, but uh, um, we should talk to Tupper, get some stories. Anyways, okay. Yeah. A couple of pieces real quickly. I just wanted to acknowledge we've got some email from listeners here. Uh, we got an, an email from listener Tad Y. Um, and, uh, um, and, and Tad, so back before um, AirVenture, I invited people to submit questions for um, um, for Jeb and I to uh, respond to in some sort of Ask Me Anything um, video podcast that we were going to do from Oshkosh that didn't happen. Um, but I've been collecting up all these these questions, and uh, we're going to do something with them at some point. And uh, that's mostly, Tad just, just said uh, um, said hi and, and, and hello to us, and we want to say hi back. And thank you, Tad, for, for checking in and, and for the question. And I've got it in, in recorded here. I've got it, uh, um, um, you know, for, for future. You're working on your answer. Yeah, but uh, no, well, I don't know. Is it a question for me? No, it's a question yeah. for you. Like, yeah, it is a question for you, Jack. It. Oh, it is a question for me. All right, well, yeah, all right. We'll, we'll come back to that, though, one of these days. Actually, I think I've told that story on the podcast, so if you listen to all the back episodes, you'll hear my okay. answer. All right. Um, and then the other piece of listener mail was from listener Bill M., um, Bill M. replied, uh, this is from a, a couple episodes back, but uh, he, his re- he says, Hi, Jack and Jeb and Amy. Um, I recently listened to your July 11 podcast in which you stated that if you want to use 94UL, your aircraft requires an STC. He then goes on to say, I have a 1955 Cessna 170B with a Continental C145 engine, 145 engine, um, the type certificate data sheet for this aircraft specifies specifies the approved fuel as 80 minimum octane of aviation gasoline. Um, because, of course, 49 falls in that category. He's suggesting that he doesn't need the STC to use 94UL in this airplane. Is that plausible? We, I think we talked about that um, um, is there some Swift, other element to Swift? Yeah. Swift 94UL uh, does require an STC. Even if your airplane is already certified for yes. 94 octane? Yes. Okay. Um, well, I'm, let me do this again. Hang on a second. Yeah, well, no, I don't know if we... I don't recall I specifically answered maybe, that maybe question. We, we definitely talked about it, and uh, um, I. While you're looking that up, I will. I will apologize once again. I have been spreading what apparently was false information um, in my reply to uh, to Bill. Um, 
although it says reply. Maybe this isn't Bill. Maybe this is Steve. I'm not sure who this email's from now because it's signed Steve. <laughs> Although, all right, anyways, um, whoever this was from, you know who you are. Thank you for your, for your information, for your feedback. It looks like it was more likely someone named Steve. Um, in my reply to Steve, um, I, among other things, pointed out something that apparently I was misinformed about, and that is whether or not you could mix 94UL with 100 LOLED. Um, I was under the impression that you could not, you should not, you may not. Um, and uh, Jeb looked it up last time and, and discovered that it is okay to mix. Um, so uh, my apologies for spreading this bad information. But uh, anyway, Steve slash Bill um, probably knows the difference. Any luck, Jeb? Um, looking at Swift's FAQ on their website. Yeah. Um Yes, got to have a, a, an FIA form three three seven, which is the the uh, form on which the STC is is documented. Um, um, let me see here. Um, yeah, I mean, there's that train. Here's yeah, my train. Um, it, it is STC approved, and you, for a certificated aircraft. Oh. You have to have an STC. There's no such thing as an STC for experimental, right, Amy? Correct. Right. But this is a 170. This is a Cessna 170. This is a certificated airplane. Yeah. Yeah. So regardless of the fact that your engine is already okay for 94 octane, you still need the STC if you want to put so-called Swift fuel, uh, 94UL in it. That's That's our reading of of the information. You st- you're still reading, or, or are you satisfied? I, no, I'm, with that I'm done. I'm think, I think we've answered the yeah. question. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. Anyways, thank you. Yeah. It is from Steve. I figured out what my problem was. I apologize. It wasn't the Bill. It's a long story. This wasn't from Bill M. This was from listener Steve, who's I don't know his last initial, but uh, um, yeah. There you go. That's our take on it, Steve. Be careful. Um, your, yeah. your mileage may vary. Check out what you know before you put the 94UL in your mm-hmm. in your 170. Um, make sure it's legal and safe. What else here? I think we're almost uh, we're almost done here. Let's see now. Um, the story for, is tracking the world's last Boeing 727. Um, 727s, plural. I was going to say, yeah. Do, yeah. do, t- do say oh. t- plural. Okay. All right. Because that's what I right, I see. I misread it then. <clears throat> that, that was my one of my first comments was I misread it as being that, that they were talking about the last individual aircraft, and it's not. It's about all of them. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, then that story goes away. Is there anything to be talking about? <laughs> 727 was the... Uh, was the uh, trijet right? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Three, um, the three holer. Yeah, engine um, engines attached to the rear of the fuselage and on top of the fuselage, just just forward of the uh, of the vertical stabilizer. Um, very distinctive aircraft in its day. Um, I can't remember the last time I saw one in the wild um, here. Um, I don't it's know. Been a while. It's you been need a... to go to the cargo side of Miami International yeah. Airport, uh, huh? There you go. Yeah, <laughs> but that's because they're because they're they're headed south, right? They're not headed up into the continental United States, though, right? They're probably. Uh, I can't say that for sure, um, but I can say that they fly cargo. Uh, I can say that some people still have them as corporate aircraft, mm-hmm. and also that they do uh, some. Firefighting, some um, uh, the, there's one here that Flight Radar 24 is listing uh, that it 
uh, is operated to spray uh, dispersant fluid onto oil spills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they do a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's always been, always, and this is not just this aircraft. There are other large, larger aircraft. It always strikes me as just odd to think of them as being basically crop dusters of a sort. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, you know. Okay. Well, hey, yeah. well, they're not crop dusters when they're fighting fires, man. No, I, I know, but... Well, <laughs> but I get it. Yeah, it's a yeah. very different environment, for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I saw a couple of times on my drive to and from uh, Oshkosh this year, I had occasion to see uh, crop dusters work in the fields out there in Ohio and Indiana. And uh, even just getting a glimpse of them as you're driving along the interstate, it's really remarkable to see those folks fly those airplanes. My goodness gracious, what they do with those airplanes. Um, and, uh, yeah. And likewise, anybody who flies any kind of aircraft fighting a fire is is a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see now. I think there was one more thing here. Mike Pate, Mike Patey, Mike, I apologize, Mike, I don't know how you pronounce your last name, I, I mean, no disrespect, um, well, became, uh, vis- became, uh, I became aware of Mike initially when he had that really incredible STOL aircraft, uh, Draco, which was a, uh, what was it, like a Wilga of some sort with a mm-hmm. monster engine on it, and uh, um, actually got to see it fly at, uh, at Air Venture 19 or 21, it must have been 19, um, maybe even 18. Um, incredible airplane, which he sadly uh, crashed um, uh, about a year later, a year after that, um, on, a, on a, I forget the exact situation of the crash. Since then, um, if you follow him on, on the socials, as the kids say, um, he uh, has been working on a number of other interesting airplane um, projects. So Mike's apparently got a couple dollars. Um, he's been very, very successful in business. God bless him. Good for him. Um, and one of the ways he uh, takes advantage of this, this, these, this fund, this money, is these, these fascinating airplanes that he built. And another one he built was a, uh, um, an airplane called a – I had it here a second ago – uh, it's got an interesting name. What is it? Help me out here. It's called, uh, uh, darn, it was right here a minute ago. Anyways, it's a, uh, it's a, a single engine. Um, um, I don't know if it was like, uh, oh, see, I'm blanking on all these names here. What was it originally here? It was a, uh, all right, I'll get my act together here soon. I promise. That looks a lot like a Lance Air Lance Evolution. Air. Lance Air is what I was going to say. Thank you. Um, and uh, they put this big uh, turboprop engine on the front and uh, has been using it. If you pay attention to this stuff, and I actually I don't, but I went back and saw a lot of this stuff when I was researching this incident. Um, um, this is an incredibly fast airplane, um, and and he's been winning some, some speed races. And uh, there's one video I saw where he was crossing the quote-unquote finish line of one of these races, which involved flying down the, flight, down the, the runway. Um, at about, I don't know, 50 feet or something like that, really fast. Holy moly, he was going fast. Um, and he was bringing it to uh, Air Venture this summer, um, and uh, about about 50 miles away before ar- arriving, I think I saw it was 50 miles someplace, um, the engine blew up. Explo- I mean, exploded. Um, this picture that we're seeing on this story from Pilots of America, the forum thread, um, I think that's an enhanced picture. That's not, that's not 
I don't think that's what actually happened. But uh, but apparently this engine kind of like stopped in flight, and uh, fortunately they were high enough. They were apparently at something like 27, you know, flight to flight level 270. Um, and so they had a lot of time. To, and, and the engine didn't depart the airplane, which is also a good thing. Um, so they had plenty of time to actually make their way down to an actual airport um, and, and land. Um, so... Uh, it's interesting, but I guess you know the, the moral to me. The moral of this story is: people who are going to create extreme airplanes are going to have extreme experiences with them, and uh, um, this is a, yet another one. Um, so I don't know. I, I, do you know much about this guy? You know anything about this incident, either of you? I don't, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I can't decide. He seems like a nice guy uh, from listening to him talk on his videos and listening to him talk about about his his uh, his projects and the things he's used a couple of other projects he's been working on over the years and uh um on the other hand he pushes the envelope obviously and uh i don't you know i mean yeah so like i said he seems to he seems to really like racing and this is a highly modified lancer legacy and uh he, whenever you highly modify anything and you tweak it out for racing, you see it all the time. If you watch the funny cars on Saturday afternoons, they blow up engines. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly the metaphor, the example I gave to another someone else I was talking to about this. It's like hot rodder people have been been doing this to engines for decades, and they often you know blow up, you know, and, and use that term loosely. But uh, yeah, um, so anyways, um, interesting story, I guess. Um, and uh, someone told me this. I mean, I, I hadn't heard about this. And a, and a non-aviation friend, this is how widely this story got around. A non-aviation friend called my attention to it and said, this guy was at 27,000 feet in his little single-engine airplane. And I'm thinking, I don't think he was probably at 27,000 feet in his single-engine airplane. I'm thinking, you know, Bonanza, you know, or whatnot. And uh, um, But did the research, discovered, well, he was, in fact, at 27,000 and uh, because he's got a turbine, for starters. Can you get to 27 in your Bonanza, Jeb? One. Probably not. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't it, think so. What's the? What's the? I'm I'm sorry. I'm I, putting you on the spot. Yeah, I think here. it's um, seventeen or eighteen thousand. I've had it at fifteen. Yeah. Okay. See, I that's what um, I would have expected. Something like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 So. Um, uh, <clears throat> Yeah, anyways, all right. Well, I'm glad he's well. Everything's well. And uh, but uh, and uh, there's videos out there. He produced a video, and others have produced videos describing the incident. And uh, there's plenty of I, of, uh, of uh, content out there describing this thing. Give it a look if you're interested. I think that's it. What else? I think that's everything that's on our little list here. How are we doing? Oh, look at this. We are definitely have definitely reached our allotted time. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we wrap this thing up? Yes? No? <laughs> Well, okay. Don't 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 talk on top of each other. This has been a lovely conversation. Absolutely, no. Absolutely. feels good. Yeah, thank you. Oh, you oh, you know what? What? Are, what? Okay. Duh, <laughs> duh. There is something else we're supposed to talk about. I yes, forgot. I almost forgot. I com- almost completely forgot. Yeah. It, oh, by the way, oh, by the way, it was, I believe if I've got the math right, 17 years ago today, Jeb, t- 17 years ago today, Jeb, that you and, 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 and Dave Higdon and I recorded the first ever episode of Uncontrolled Airspace, which wasn't called Uncontrolled Airspace back then. Um, uh, Jeb, what a wild and crazy ride, huh? 
Still is. Yeah, still is. Amy, you joined us not long after that. You you were you you, you first joined us in, in one of those single digits. No, that couldn't have happened. I, I couldn't have been old enough well, to join yeah, you at you, that you, point. You were, you were definitely part of the uh, yeah, you well, were definitely one of the irregular. You, you called it in from study hall. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah, right. Thank you, Jeb. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. It's uh <laughs> Uh, Jeb, I don't know what to say, man. Um, yeah. Congratulations, guys. Thank 17 you. years is a big mark. Yeah, well, it is. I guess. I don't know. Someone someone else I was talking to about, I don't know. I'm going to name names because darn it. Because I, I, um, I'm going to pay them back. 172 Drew said to me the other day, oh, well, this means you got to now make it at least to 20, huh? And I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> did you hit him? I was on the telephone, but symbolically, you know, yeah, metaphorically, I did. And will next time I see him. Uh, uh. Um, well, the other only only observation I would make, yeah, well, several observations. I yeah. would make. First of all, it's been a wild ride, yes. and I uh, cannot thank enough of our listeners. Cannot thank them enough uh, for for sticking by us, and uh, uh, even if they left, coming for coming back. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'd simply like to point out is that. UCAP is now old enough to get a private pilot's license. Ooh, there you go. There we go, huh? Yeah. It's, uh, okay. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, uh, yeah. So, uh I don't even know what to talk. I mean, it's it's you know, like you said, Jeb. It's uh, um, I had higher hopes than you guys did, but I, even I didn't think we'd last seventeen years. You know, and uh, I, I remember when we got to like you know a year, or and when we got mm-hmm. to hundred episodes, and I'm thinking, holy moly, you know, and 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 quite frankly, that was an accomplishment. But uh, yeah. but who would have thought it we would come this far? Um, I uh, yeah. So we're. Let me think now. I got. I actually, I can look up the number here. Hang on. If we. Um, so it's obvious. This is, we call this episode ten seventy eight, but that's really, really degenerated into just being kind of an ID number. It's not really <laughs> a count. Um, according to the actual count of the number of discrete audiophile episodes that we've ever published, this one. Um, if I let's see now that and. This will be 717. So this will be the 717th unique audiophile episode. And by that I mean counting all the dailies separately is what I'm, what I'm getting mm-hmm. at here. 717 episodes later, um, 716 later, um, here we are still, you know. And, uh, yeah. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I miss David. I wish David were here to yes, share this with us. Um, yeah. We all do. One of the reasons that we're still here. Yeah. Um, yeah. David, David, one of the reasons why it became, I mean, I think we all contributed. I don't mean to sound that way, but Dave was a big contributor to this. Dave's voice and Dave's attitude and Dave's stories um, were, were a significant part of this podcast from the very, very beginning. Um, and uh, we're marshalling on without him, and I think we're you know kind of doing okay, but it's not the same without him. And uh, miss him every single episode. Many days go by um, where I, I miss him. I think about him. Anyways, thank you. And Amy, we're really pleased that you were able to join us for this episode. Uh, that was important to us because you have been a very important part of this this podcast over the years. And uh, um, we appreciate you setting us straight from time to time. Um, well, <laughs> I just have fun. You know, good. you guys are fun to be around. Oh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I guess that's that. Um, yeah. Yeah, eight, season number eighteen. You know, or we could do the we could do the uh, we could do the uh, uh, 
what's the uh, real the TV show reality TV show that counts every every two years as two se- or every one year as two seasons. Um, <laughs> You know, so after 20 years, I mean, and they still are very pretty old, but uh, they uh, they call it season 40. Um, no, I don't know. We never recounted seasons. Um, but this is year, the beginning of year 18. And uh, will we make it to year 20? I don't know. I'll let you know. We'll get back to you on that. Um, I think that's it. I think that's it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you taking some time to uh, to sit down and chat and uh, reminisce and uh, and uh, and straighten out some of the some some of the stories of the day. That's Amy Lobota. Amy is a an ATP pilot who, after over forty years in the aviation community, enjoys giving back now as a uh, lead f- uh, fast team representative. Uh, she's a retired aviation journalist and likes to describe herself as an assistant airplane builder. Uh, she managed to avoid social media pretty good. Uh, but she can occasionally be found at Amy uh, uh, on Twitter. Uh, excuse me, on X, the podcast. The, oh, the, the God, it, formally, it kills me every time you say that. Formerly known as Twitter as uh, Amy Lobota, uh, our first name, last name bumped together. Thank you, Amy. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. And Jeb Burnside. Jeb's a freelance aviation writer and editor. He serves as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. He's also a frequent contributor to other aviation publications. You can find Jeb's work online at aviationsafetymagazine.com. He's also sometimes seen at avweb.com, at aea.net, and uh, many others. On social media, on on the X thing, he is uh, Burnside J. Uh, and his magazine, Aviation Safety Magazine, is on the X thing as a... Uh, I saw some, someone referred to it the other day as they were they were replacing so they were using the word Twitter but replacing the leading T with an X so it yeah, became zitter zitter all right yeah. um, but <laughs> aviation safety whatever it is you call it aviation safety magazine is there as Ab Safety Mag uh, on Mastodon Jeb Burnside can be seen as Burnside J at mytransponder.com. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. You can find me online in most places with the all one word username Jack Hodgson. I'm on uh, Zitter, Twitter X, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Patreon. Um, in the Fediverse, I am Jack Hodgson at Mastodon.social. Uh, and you can find my ebooks on Amazon by searching for Around the Field in the books section. And we want to thank everybody for taking the time to listen. We really appreciate it. We really do enjoy uh, uh, hearing from you uh, and also meeting with you at the various uh, fly-ins that we attend throughout the year. Um, you can follow UCAP uh, itself on the Fediverse at Uncontrolled Airspace at MyTransponder.com. Um, and if possible, we would love for you to become a supporter of this podcast by going to patreon.com slash uncontrolled airspace. You can also make a PayPal tip jar donation by uh, care of the email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Just 10 or $15 over the span of an entire year is a big, big help to helping us keep this thing going. And we'd love to hear from you. You can use that same email address podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. Send us your comments and questions. So anyways, hey, Jeb, was there, do you have some words of wisdom for I, us? I got a quick quiz for the two of you. Yeah. Ooh. What do altitude, speed, and brains have in common? I don't know. Pick two. Pick, <laughs> pick two to stay alive. There ah, you go. I was right. Okay. You were. Right. Beautiful. Very good. All right. Okay, wayward aviators, that's enough talking. Let's go flying. <laughs>